This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County in Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, 89.1 in DeKalb Sycamore, 89.3 in Morris Joliet, and 88.9 in Rockford area, and that includes Harvard and Marengo. We're covering much of Central and also Northern Illinois, and we're growing thanks to you. We're going to have a great show for you today. I'm here with my wife, Lynn, and uh, I want to mention before we even get started that we are going to talk about an article called The Future of War, and for all of you war buffs out there and military buffs, stay tuned because uh, it's very, very interesting And at the end of the uh, article, there will be some recommendations for some books for you to read. So stay with us, and uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. But uh, again, uh, it's a a very interesting article. Uh, We still live in a mad, 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 and sad world, and it's getting worse. And we'll talk a little bit about that to start. But uh, the future of war covers actually a lot of that, and it's a very, very interesting article. And very apropos, I think, since... uh, October 7th, when the Israeli-Hamas war started and is going on. So uh, we will get to that. Remember, we are brought to you by you. So any donations that you can make are always appreciated, large or small. And if you'd like to make a donation, and I hope you would, go to our website, and that's catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com, and it will tell you there how to make a donation. Of course, you can call us at 309-807-2427. That's 309-807-2427. And uh, remember, Thanksgiving is coming up. So for everybody out there, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, We were gone for the last two weeks. Uh, There's been a lot of colds and COVID going around. And John was down and I was down. So uh, it's just uh, that time of year, I guess. At any rate, before we start, I'm going to ask my wife, Lynn, if she has something to say and turn it over to her. Hi out there. Yes, been sick with this what virus that's going around. Hope everybody out there is all right and doing well. We're coming to the end of the liturgical year now, and you'll notice the readings on Sunday are coming, are talking about the return of Christ and how you need to be prepared. And it's true, and it's very apropos for this time of the year and for what's happening in the world, I think. The world has gone nuts. and uh, But anyway, then following the end of the liturgical year, we'll end with Christ, the Feast of Christ the King, which was established. Christ is the King, and he should come before everything else. And that's what the feast is reminding us. It was established by, uh, I can't remember which pope, but it was established to counteract materialism and modernism. So it's an important feast. And if you get time, look it up. It'll be well worth your time. Now, what we're going to talk about today, it's a extremely good article, it really is, and it really explains on my level <laughs> what uh, is going on around us 
and it's I even sent for the book. So I hope you enjoy it and take note of what they're saying. I don't know if we'll see you next week. Next week is already Thanksgiving. Yes, it is. I can't believe it. Christmas will be here. Oh, geez. Right. Okay. Okay, Bob. Okay. At any rate, people might wonder, you know, what, uh, you know, what we're talking about war, what that has to do with Catholicism. But of course, uh, the, it, it talks about the fact that, uh, we can talk about the fact that, uh, Catholic Church built Western civilization and it was a great unifier and we're starting to lose the unity that we have not only in this country but also in the West and this article uh, talks uh, about that and uh, also the fact is is that uh, the church itself if you look at its history was born during a very strong time of turmoil uh, in Rome Uh, there were wars going on in Rome at that time all over Rome was actually beginning its fall. It didn't know it. It was a couple of more centuries, two or three centuries more before it finally did fall. But nevertheless, it was on its way. And uh, I think empires fall in the same way that uh, Ernest Hemingway was once asked how he went broke. He he had gone broke at, at one time. Hemingway, of course, was a great American writer. And he said, well, he said, I went broke a little at a time and then all at once. And sometimes that's how empires and uh, great nations like ourselves uh, fall. The things happen a little at a time, and then they suddenly happen all at once. And that's what happened in Rome. And uh, if you look at the history of our own country, I mean, we're talking about the fact that uh, this country was sort of born in war. There was the French-Indian War going on prior to the American Revolution. Then there was the American Revolution. Right after that, there was the War of 1812. And then there were further... uh, uh, Indian Wars as well uh, going on, and uh, we had, of course, the uh, uh, Mexican War, and uh, right after the Mexican War, there was a Civil War, and then after the Civil War, uh, of course, there was later the Spanish-American War, World War One, and uh, World War Two, and you had uh, Korea right after World War Two, and then the Middle East, uh, well, we had Vietnam, and then the Middle East, and that's still going on, what we have with Hamas going on in Israel, and uh, we are helping in that respect, and we could be sucked in more into the Middle East again. So war is a prominent thing, and the church has always had to deal with it. So it's apropos to talk about it. And uh, at any rate, I'm going to read this article. It's by William S. Lind, and it's called The Future of War. And it's a little sleeper article in the Chronicles magazine. It appeared in the June-July issue, back in the June-July issue of 2023. And I remembered reading it at the time, and you know, it didn't jump out at me until the October 7th uh, 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 attack uh, on Israel by Hamas uh, and the Israeli war, Hamas war starting. And then all of a sudden it just jumped out at me what's going on and also what's going on in our country. And, and uh, this little sleeper article is very apropos as to what's going on now. And uh, it is something that uh, doesn't uh, affect the church. And so we're going to go ahead and talk about it. And all you war buffs out there, pay attention. There's some great books that uh, pick up this theme. And if you're interested, I'm going to name them so that uh, if you wish, you can get them in the bookstore or else order them uh, over uh, Amazon or somewhere. Yes, and my dad, it's not just military history, very good history, period. Exactly, it helps I us. love history. 
And they're very good. At any rate, it's uh, The Future of War by William S. Lind. And it says, the United States and almost all other states are caught up in the biggest change in war in about 350 years. Technology has little to do with it. To understand the future of war, we must first drop back and look at its past. Our starting point is the Peace of Westphalia that ended the Thirty Years' War. Westphalia gave the state a monopoly on war. Today, we automatically think of war as conflict between states, with state armies, navies, and air forces fighting other similar state armed forces. But before Westphalia, war had much broader bounds. Many different entities fought wars. Families, tribes, races, ethnic groups, religions, regions, cities, business enterprises. The list is almost endless. They used many different means as well. Poisonings, bribery, assassinations, dynastic marriages, as well as battles and campaigns. We don't think of these things as war, but uh, these were a means of war in the past. And uh, some of these things are coming to the uh, surface again. For the latter, their armed forces range from any male old enough to hold a weapon to highly trained and expensive mercenaries, of whom the Swiss were usually both the most costly and the best. The Pope still uses them. So that's uh, something that the, the church is related to in that respect. Between the fall of the highly successful Middle Ages, and it's important to understand, people think of the Middle Ages as, as the Dark Ages, but that's not true. That's a misnomer. I think that was uh, uh, one of the, the tags that, uh, that was put on by historians that somehow the Middle Ages was a Dark Age. It was not. It was a very successful age, and it was a very unified age, and the church did the unifying. And since that time, there has been a stronger and stronger disunification of the world and uh, because uh, the church was that unifying factor. But it goes on. It says, between the fall of the highly successful Middle Ages and the rise of the state, which begins in the late 15th century, Europe was beset with wandering bands of armed men who hired themselves out as soldiers when they could and otherwise took whatever they wanted from anyone too weak to resist. After Westphalia, state armies went out, rounded these men up, and hanged them from the nearest tree to the cheers of the local population. War became a monopoly of the state, and so it remained up through most of the 20th century. But today, the state is losing its monopoly on war. State militaries find themselves fighting not other state armed forces, but armed non-state entities, the Taliban, ISIS, Hezbollah, Hezbollah, according to Lind, is the most competent of the lot, Hamas, drug cartels, who now rule Mexico, where three cartels are now each more powerful than the state, ethnic groups, gangs, religious cultists. Again, the list is almost endless as it was before Westphalia. And we're not really paying attention to these things. But they are growing and they are becoming stronger and war is changing. A lot of these non-state entities. We also have a lot of what they call, you know, the non-state organizations and so forth that are growing in power. Some of these, of course, are the same thing. Uh, They, again, use many different means, not just battles. Perhaps the most powerful is war by immigration, 
and we are suffering a war on our country by immigration. Immigrants who refuse to acculturate or come in such numbers that they cannot be acculturated are more dangerous than foreign armies because the armies eventually go home while immigrants stay, permanently altering the cultural landscape. The new landscape they create is the one whose dysfunction they fled because that is all they know. And that happens. I mean, it's the same thing like people move, say, from California or they move from some very liberal state, let's say, into a more conservative state like Texas. They get away from the liberal state that they're living in because life there becomes dysfunctional and not good. Yet when they move to the new state, they bring the same thing with them because it's what they know and it's what they do and it's how they vote. And they keep on doing the same thing over and over. If you want to say, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. Well, the human race, of course, suffers from that particular type of insanity. Curiously, state armed forces, which are vastly stronger by all normal estimations of combat power, usually lose to these physically very weak non-state entities. Why? To answer that question, we must turn to the work of America's greatest military theorist, Colonel John Boyd. Boyd argued that war is fought on three levels, the physical, the mental, and the moral. The physical level, where almost all state armed forces focus their efforts, is the weakest. The moral, where most non-state entities focus, is the strongest. The reason they went on the moral level is what the Israeli military historian Martin Van Creveld calls the power of weakness. State armed forces are so massively superior to their non-state opponents on the physical level that every conflict turns into a, another fight between David and Goliath. In the 3,000 years or so that, biblical story, that that biblical story has been told, how many people have rooted for Goliath? And we're seeing that now. We're seeing that in Israel, the state, a very, very strong state, fighting Hamas, which is really not exactly a state. It's an organization, a terrorist organization that uses civilians and, uh, in order to hide behind and uses terror to, to advance its causes. And yet at the same time, a lot of the world is demanding that Israel call a ceasefire because they see Israel as a powerful Western, uh, westernized powerful state. And somehow or another, they see Israel as Goliath and they see Hamas as more of a David, especially because they're hiding behind civilians and the civilians are often in the way and being killed. And so the moral argument is going against Israel, even though the moral argument should go in Israel's favor. But this is one of the things that gives power to these non-governmental forces. It goes, the result is that state armed forces physically win almost every encounter, but at the cost of moral defeat. In the end, they defeat themselves. In the 1980s, I came up with an intellectual framework that is useful to put all this into context. And this is William Lynn speaking here, the author of the article. I call it the four generations of modern war, generations standing for dialectically qualitative transformation. First generation war is war of line and column tactics, which start with Westphalia and runs up to about the American Civil War. 
Second generation is war of firepower and attrition and was developed by the French army during and after World War I. Its essence is putting firepower on targets consistently to grind their numbers down over time. The U.S. Armed Forces learned second-generation war from the French, and they still practice it today. Third-generation war, also called maneuver warfare or blitzkrieg, was a product of the German army during and after World War I. It is the formal doctrine of the United States Marine Corps today, (coughs) though Marines seldom follow their doctrine. All three generations represented changes in their times to the way war was previously fought. Fourth generation war is, as Van Creveld says, a change not in how war is fought, though that will change too, but in who fights and what they fight for. It is a war fought against or among enemies that are not states. We're going to stop here and take a break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Happy Thanksgiving from all of us at Catholic Spirit Radio. We are very thankful for our dear listeners, our Facebook followers, and business sponsors. May you and yours enjoy a cornucopia of God's blessing and wonders during this season of gratefulness. Hi, this is Kathy and Anne from Catholic Spirit Radio. We are looking for folks who would love to volunteer with us during our fundraisers and various other station events and tasks throughout the year. We really need volunteers in the DeKalb, Sycamore, Morris, Joliet, and Lincoln areas, as well as Bloomington Normal. If you have a few extra hours or more a month, put them to use for the Lord. We would love to add your name to our Catholic Spirit Radio volunteer list. Contact us at office at catholicspiritradio.org. Listeners support Catholic Spirit Radio in many different ways. Some write checks, others use credit cards. But did you know that you can also give Catholic Spirit Radio your old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV, even if it's not working? Donating your vehicle is easy. We take care of everything from pickup to tax receipt. Just go to catholicspiritradio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link or call 866-628-CARS. Hey, this is Father Mitch Pacwa, host of Open Line Wednesday. For me, Catholic Radio is a chance to speak and hear our Catholic doctrine, consider it, think about it, apply it to everyday life, and be blatantly in the public with it. And I am so thankful to you for being an important part of the Lord's plan. By participating and listening, invite others to listen and hear Open Line Has Catholic Spirit Radio touched you? Maybe it has brought you closer to God or even into the church. Tell us your story. Call or text our listener comment line. If you like, you can remain anonymous. 773-541-4159. A warm welcome to our new Catholic Spirit Radio listeners in Rockford. We hope you are inspired and informed by our quality programs. Tell others about Catholic Spirit Radio now heard in the Rockford area on 88.9 FM and catholicspiritradio.com. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break. We're talking about the future of war, an article written by William S. Lind in the magazine Chronicles, the uh, June-July 23 issue of the Chronicles. And it's talking about how war changed over time, how it started out as uh, various groups of people that were really not states and then turned into something fought only and strongly by unified states. And now it's talking about how war is changing back 
into a conflict of not just states, but a conflict between independent organizations and the state, sometimes a conflict between independent organizations and other independent organizations. But at any rate, it's changing. And he calls that change uh, the, the origin of future generation war. We talked about first generation war, uh, uh, and then we talked about second generation war, and then third generation war uh, called Blitzkrieg. This was the war invented by Germany during World War II. And uh, all three generations of war represented changes in their times as time went on from the past to the future and to the way war was previously fought. But fourth generation war is a war that is returning to what war used to be like before there really was a strong state and before there were state wars. And he goes on here, he says, the origin of fourth generation war lies not in technology nor in tactics. And this is how most other wars change. They change in technology and they change in tactics. But fourth generation war is not changing so much in technology and tactics but in a vastly larger phenomenon, a growing and near universal crisis of the legitimacy of the state. And this is where it's really important to listen, where, where it comes in. The state, and we can see it in our own uh, government, in our own uh, country, is beginning throughout the world, at least in Western civilization, the state is having a crisis of legitimacy. And this is what is causing a new type of war, fourth generation war, to come into existence. It says all around the world, the state has become a prisoner of a new class, a class, an elite class that can't make things work. And we're having that problem in our country. Take a look at what's going on. I mean, we are having uh, thieves. uh, We're having an increase in crime. We're having right now uh, groups of thieves attacking, uh, Delivery systems such as uh, UPS and Amazon and, uh, you know, the postal service and stealing uh, thousands and thousands of dollars of uh, Christmas presents and so forth from hapless drivers of these vehicles. We're having more and more packages and so forth being stolen from people's porches. We're having more thievery going on uh, in drugstores like CVS, for example, that in some cities are closing and moving out of, uh, or if they're not closing in the cities themselves, they're moving out of, of certain high crime areas. Uh, we're having the same thing happen with Target. We're having the stores themselves uh, unable to actually put together a policy facing this crime except for locking things up. We have the, the disgusting spectacle of Target actually telling the police that they shouldn't make arrests in the store that uh, they don't want to somehow frighten their customers and the police should wait until the crooks get outside before they make arrests. We're having actually people running corporations and so forth instead of looking at the bottom line and looking at the actual market they serve instead of uh, dancing to the tune of the woke uh, ideology and doing things their way because this is what they've learned as they've come up through our schools, our whole school system being skewed along those lines. And our society beginning to break down and not work and having all kinds of people in charge of various uh, aspects of our society in which these people are totally incompetent at the same not being able to get things done, but at the same time refusing to leave and making it impossible for anybody else to take over by constantly harassing any other leader that steps forward 
and uh, criminalizing them and using the state power to keep themselves in charge, even though they're not running things properly. This is what's going on. It's a, That's right. It's really heartbreaking it to is, see. It is. Uh, they just go into the store and take everything. And this is an aspect of war, and this is actually what is changing uh, in war. It says, all around the world, the state has become a prisoner of a new class, an elite class that can't make things work, that uses its wealth and power to insulate itself from the consequences of things not working, <laughs> and which cares about only one thing, and that is remaining the elite and remaining in power. The non-elite majority is seeing through the game and trying, where they are allowed, to vote the bastards out. Hence, the victory of President Donald Trump in 2016. But the whole elite rallies to defend this position, often by destroying the person who threatened to topple it. And, of course, that's what they're trying to do to Donald Trump. They're trying to destroy him, and they're using the state and the state power to do it. And when populist forces do score a victory, the deep state mobilizes to thwart them at every turn. And this is what's going on. And, of course, this very, this very process going on makes the state even weaker and more incompetent and uh, less able to do its job and uh, more and more turning to deception and deceit and more and more people becoming disgusted and uh, uptight and tense at what's going on. Eventually... Ordinary people just switch the whole thing off. They're sick and tired of it all. They don't want to listen to it. They switch it off, and they keep on hoping that somehow things will return to the way they were, but they really don't know how to act or do something to get that done. And so things just keep on going on. And this is how empires often fall. If you take a look at the Roman Empire, a lot of the very things that are happening today happen there. And, and not just the Roman Empire. It's not just the, the only template for what's going on. You can take a look at almost any uh, empire, any large civilization that has gone down, and usually the same kind of thing happens. It simply is unable to make things work anymore, and yet the people who are in charge hang on and hang on and resist and resist until nothing works and finally a collapse sets in. But it says goes on. But that yeah, thing— it's leaving people unable to defend themselves. Exactly. We saw it on on the news today. Young uh, a man, father, of a household, and some people came over his over the wall after him, and he pulled out a gun. He he had a license, concealed carry. Pulled out the gun, and he used it. He didn't hit anybody, but he did scare him off. Well, he lost his license to carry a gun. Exactly, and this is this is the whole point. The state, in spite of the fact that it's not working, in spite of the fact that it's not doing what it's supposed to do, protecting a man like that, nevertheless, it wants to aggrandize all the power to itself, and so it immediate its, its immediate reaction is is not to oppose the crook and not to oppose the criminal but take the power away from the legitimate person that was using it to defend his family and so forth. Uh, it's almost an automatic knee-jerk reaction by the state trying to hang on to its power in a situation where the state is beginning to fail. He says, but that thing includes their primary, primary loyalty. In other words, ordinary people just switch the whole thing off, and the thing that they're talking about, the thing that they switch off, 
includes their primary loyalty. In other words, they're not just turning away from what they see as incompetence and so forth. They're simply turning their loyalty away from the state itself. The more the state tries to hang on without being able to do its job, the more people begin to turn away from the state, the more power the state loses, and it's just sort of a a, uh, syndrome that keeps on growing in a spiral downward and downward and downward. Instead of giving their loyalty to the state, which they now view as illegitimate for that man, for example, isn't going to look at the state as legitimate. He's going to look at it as illegitimate. They bestow it, as before Westphalia, on a wide variety of alternatives. People turn to races. They turn to their own race. They turn to their ethnic groups that they live among. They turn to their religion. They turn to cults. They turn to business enterprises, legal and illegal. Uh, In situations, they'll turn to gangs. You see kids joining gangs and so forth in order to find some type of security and camaraderie. Uh, they begin giving their loyalty to regions, to particular states, or maybe even to particular counties or areas of states instead of to the country. They give their loyalty to causes such as animal rights and radical environmentalism. You see the uh, climate change people going on, people giving their loyalty to the building of windmills and so forth. In other words, the unity of the state begins to die And one of the things, of course, uh, where the church comes in, at one time the Catholic Church was the unifying factor of Western civilization. And, of course, uh, that unifying factor not only uh, became disunified with the uh, Reformation or the Deformation, if you want to call it that, but it has become even more disunified with the growth of secular organizations that compete and then the different religions that have been allowed to come into the United States that are in a contrast, they're almost contrary to Christianity. And so not only Catholic Christianity, but Christianity itself begins to break up. And the various unifying factors that held the state together are gone. And so people begin turning to private organizations uh, for their entertainment. They begin to turn to it for safety. They begin to turn to it uh, for a feeling of unity, for a, a feeling of organization, and so forth. People are automatically almost inbred and born uh, with a fear and a, 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 a tendency against chaos, and so they will unify around something, and this is what's going on. The list is endless. And many of these people who would never fight for the state willingly, even eagerly, fight for their new primary loyalty. The environmentalists who engage in tree spiking by burying a metal rod in a tree hoping to kill a logger is committing an act of war, not just committing a crime. And a lot of things are now becoming more acts of war than they are crimes. Uh, Even these gangs that are stealing from uh, delivery drivers and from other things, it is becoming more and more acts of war that they are engaged in more than just crime. And so states dissolve in a many-sided civil war, returning one former state after another to a Hobbesian state of nature. And uh, when we say Hobbes, uh, he was a philosopher uh, that lived uh, in the uh, around the 18th century or so, 17th, 18th century. 
and predicted that, uh, you know, without the state, life is nasty, brutal, and short, and that people banded together to give the state power in order to find safety, and uh, that is what is being lost, and we're going back into that state of nature where it's starting to become a war of all against all, a place where life is dominated by wandering groups of armed men taking whatever they want from anyone too weak to resist, and that's exactly what's going on. And we're seeing a lot of it starting in the state today. It doesn't seem maybe as as uh, powerful and as strong as that had become in earlier times, but that doesn't mean it can't grow to that proportion and, and get that way. It says, what are some of the implications of fourth-generation war theory for the world around us? Understandably, the war in Ukraine draws the most attention. That war is being fought within the state framework, so it is not fourth-generation warfare. Russia's armed forces find themselves facing people's war, not just Ukraine's armed forces. People's war is powerful, but it is not new. Napoleon faced the same thing in Spain. What fourth-generation warfare theory warns is that if Russia loses, the Russian state may be so delegitimatized that the Russian Federation breaks up. That, in turn, could leave us and the rest of the world facing a chaotic region full of nuclear weapons and delivery systems that can reach the other side of the world. As Trump would say, not good. I mean, are we thinking about that? I mean, the fact is, is Putin, whether you like Putin or not, (laughs) whether he's a dictator or not, whether he's a former KGB or not, has been holding Russia together and having some kind of a policy and, of course, uh, has probably understood and certainly doesn't want to get into some kind of an atomic war. But if we push him to the point where he is losing legitimacy, will he himself resort to that? And if not, suppose we push it to the point where Putin is dumped. Actually, we had uh, our President Biden talk about that and then walk it back. But, I mean, Putin and uh, people on Putin's side in Russia are not going to necessarily believe the walking back. And they're thinking in terms that there are people in power in the United States that want to overthrow his government. And that makes things in Russia less uh, stable than they might be. And so suppose that does happen and Putin is deposed. Does that mean that somebody else is going to take over that will be more stable than Putin? Or does it mean that there could be a vacuum and that vacuum could be fought over by various peoples that will not, not be anywhere near as responsible as Putin. So we, we don't think about the fact that uh, we could go you know from the frying pan into the fire in a situation like that. And uh, just imagine, Russia has more nuclear uh, weapons, I think, than we do. And it is full of these nuclear weapons. Can you imagine three or four different people who are irresponsible fighting over this? and uh, having access to all of these weapons that can fire rockets at very great speeds all over the world. I mean, this is not a good situation at all. And these are some of the things that can happen. Another implication is that the U.S. military has little chance of winning four generations wars. I'll say that again. The United States military has little chance of winning fourth generation wars. Our failures in Afghanistan... Iraq, Syria, Libya, Somalia, etc. were not flukes. They were an almost inevitable result of sending a second-generation military to fight a fourth-generation war. 
In other words, in, in spite of the fact that we were as powerful as we were, we had to fight those wars in such a way because of the morality forced upon us by the opinions of the rest of the world and even opinions right here in our own country. We had to fight that war often with our hands tied behind our backs uh, because we were fighting groups of people that were really not the state. And uh, it's the same thing that's going on with Israel. Uh, there are people calling for them to stand down, calling for them to have a ceasefire and so forth because they are seen as Goliath and we were seen as Goliath and we were seen as uh, not having the legitimacy or the morality to fight an all-out war as we did in World War II. And so we ended up fighting sort of half-hearted uh, wars and we lost. So we're going to have to stop there and take a break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Happy Thanksgiving from all of us at Catholic Spirit Radio. We are very thankful for our dear listeners, our Facebook followers, and business sponsors. May you and yours enjoy a cornucopia of God's blessing and wonders during this season of gratefulness. Hi, this is Kathy and Anne from Catholic Spirit Radio. We are looking for folks who would love to volunteer with us during our fundraisers and various other station events and tasks throughout the year. We really need volunteers in the DeKalb, Sycamore, Morris, Joliet, and Lincoln areas, as well as Bloomington Normal. If you have a few extra hours or more a month, put them to use for the Lord. We would love to add your name to our Catholic Spirit Radio volunteer list. Contact us at office at catholicspiritradio.org. Listeners support Catholic Spirit Radio in many different ways. Some write checks, others use credit cards. But did you know that you can also give Catholic Spirit Radio your old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV, even if it's not working? Donating your vehicle is easy. We take care of everything from pickup to tax receipt. Just go to catholicspiritradio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link or call 866-628-CARS. Hey, this is Father Mitch Pacwa, host of Open Line Wednesday. For me, Catholic Radio is a chance to speak and hear our Catholic doctrine, consider it, think about it, apply it to everyday life, and be blatantly in the public with it. And I am so thankful to you for being an important part of the Lord's plan. By participating and listening, invite others to listen and hear Open Line Has Catholic Spirit Radio touched you? Maybe it has brought you closer to God or even into the church. Tell us your story. Call or text our listener comment line. If you like, you can remain anonymous. 773-541-4159. A warm welcome to our new Catholic Spirit Radio listeners in Rockford. We hope you are inspired and informed by our quality programs. Tell others about Catholic Spirit Radio now heard in the Rockford area on 88.9 FM and catholicspiritradio.com. Hi, this is Bob Johnson. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break, and we're talking today about the fourth-generation war. We're talking about the future of war. We're talking about how war is changing. We're talking about the fact that war is changing because the state is beginning to lose its legitimacy, and war is being fought more and more by groups outside the state instead of by state armies. And we're talking about the fact that even when state armies are involved, even though that they are more powerful physically and militarily and weapon-wise than the armies and the groups that they're fighting, they do not have the morality because they are seen as a Goliath, you know, fighting a David. And uh, because of that, they're restricted in what they can do. 
And we fought those kind of wars in the Middle East, and we've lost a lot of those wars in the Middle East. In fourth-generation war, the morality seems to be, even if they're terrorists, on the side of the actual weaker organization, because that organization is not the state itself, and because the state uh, in people's lives is losing its legitimacy, people are disgusted with it, they simply are not backing and supporting the state. And when they look at and see the state power, it doesn't impress them in that sense as much as it used to anymore because they see the state as something in their lives that is not helping them, but actually hindering them. And people are turning more and more themselves to their own particular organizations, regions, and so forth for some type of security and some type of unity. And that causes a state to spiral downward even more and lose more and more of its legitimacy. And when it loses its legitimacy, it's losing its moral legitimacy as well as its legitimacy of power. It goes on here in the article. It says, technology does play a role in fourth-generation warfare, but the important technologies come from the civilian market, not defense companies. The most important technologies are those which enable rapid and unjammable communication, communication not just of words but of images. The U.S. Air Force bombs a family compound in Syria tonight. Tomorrow, pictures of dead women and children are all over the Internet. China has shown a state can erect a great firewall of censorship, but what price and legitimacy does it pay for doing so? China may be losing its legitimacy as well, and maybe Russia too, but is that good? If those huge states lose their legitimacy, imagine the um, amounts of huge weapons and so forth that could be available to various gangs and so forth who are not controlled and who do not have the discipline of the state. Drones, too, play a role in fourth-generation warfare. But non-state entities will probably benefit more from them than will states. Again, they can buy most drone capabilities on the civilian market. Both states and non-state forces are discovering that drones are easy and fun to shoot down. An Air Force could cheaply build some squadrons of outdated planes like the Fokker DV-7s used in World War I or the P-51 Mustangs in World War II, dedicate them to anti-drone work, and have pilots lined up for miles eager to fly them. Instead of paying the pilots, the Air Force could make them pay to play. Technologies ready available on the civilian market will interact with the changing fourth generation warfare, will interact with the changes fourth generation warfare brings in who fights and what they fight for to create new and significant challenges for state armed forces. We have already seen this in the effectiveness of suicide bombers. No smart weapon is as smart as a human being. And suicide, suicide bombers have shown they can penetrate most defenses. Historically, suicide attacks have been rare. The fact that they are becoming common in fourth-generation war shows just how massive a change in war we are facing. The most important point about fourth-generation war for America's security is to realize it is coming here, to a theater near us. In many parts of the country, it is already here. Just talk to a major city's police department off the record. Drug cartels are waging fourth-generation war on American soil, as are other gangs, many of which are racially based. To see a preview of fourth-generation war, take a look inside Americans' worst state prisons. 
We are importing fourth-generation war on a massive scale across America's southern border. The culturally Marxist political establishment is holding the door open because masses of immigrants from dysfunctional cultures will help it destroy Western Christian Anglo-Saxon culture. And there again is uh, something that does concern the church because uh, the church uh, built Western civilization and unified it, and it is being destroyed by this type of warfare. Little does it understand what its faith will be in the resulting maelstrom. In other words, these people that are pushing and allowing all these immigrants to come into our country because they see in it uh, a chance for these people to side with them and to make it possible for them to hang on to power, to make it possible for the elites in charge to hang on to their power, they're overlooking the fact that it can destroy the very structure that these elites depend on to stay in power and to rule and can bring them down, and they don't understand the maelstrom that they are creating in which they themselves will go down. This happened in Rome, for example, when the Romans and so forth were importing and using all kinds of uh, soldiers and so forth uh, that were hired from outside sources, and instead those soldiers actually began to sack and take uh, the wealth of Rome for themselves. These are actions we could take, there are actions we could take to prevent large-scale fourth-generation war on America's soil with the state collapse it will generate. We desperately need reform of our police forces, moving away from militarizing the police, which isolates them from the people they are to protect to community policing where police officers specialize in de-escalating situations through talk. At the same time, we must end the current war on cops, accepting that police officers often deal with bad people who respond only to force and that their own lives are at stake in ambiguous situations that require split-second decisions. Local politicians, press, and courts must again give cops the benefit of the doubt or they will find no one willing to be a policeman. And consider the fact that uh, police in the world and under the state are relatively new. You know, most of history, there were no police. And it was left up to people to defend themselves. And the the downfall of the police, the the, uh, disorganization of the police, the defunding of the police is a symptom and step in the fall of a civilization. Police reform and realism among courts and local politicians in turn must lead to the American state doing what states arose to do, to ensure order, chiefly by protecting the safety of persons and property. Order must cover every square foot of American territory, including in the black inner city. Today, the state is writing off more and more of our country as terra incognita, places where the state writ does not run. In the long run, that is fatal to a state's legitimacy. If the state cannot guarantee order, people will transfer their loyalty to something else that can. Freedom means ordered liberty, not chaos dominated by young thugs with guns. And that's another thing, this idea of complete freedom and complete autonomy. No state can survive in that situation. It has to have norms that everybody are made to follow. It can't just allow people to develop their own norms and live the way that they generally want to live. Uh, without a deterioration, and when that deterioration sets in, 
the whole structure of the state is uh, weakened. And when that weakening happens, the state doesn't do its job. And again, it leads to a syndrome, a spiral downward. And that is what's happening if we take a look around us now. That's for sure. If you look at when the Egyptians left, I mean the Egyptians, when Israel left Egypt in the, uh, the in Exodus, what was one of the first things God did? He gave them a code of conduct to follow in the Ten Commandments. Exactly. You have to have some sort of structure for people to function. If and, you, you know, if we do it with the police and everybody does their own thing, it's a free-for-all, it's anarchism, it's even worse than that. Exactly. And then people will turn to their own particular region and gangs and so forth, and it and will you become have a tribe. Right. Come a war of all against all. He goes on here, he says, uh, let me add a personal note. In the 1930s, my mother lived in Washington, D.C., then as now a largely black city. One day she said to me, I walked alone at night through black neighborhoods all the time. I never thought anything of it. There was no reason why she should have. Those neighborhoods were safe for both blacks and whites. Retro culture tells us that what we did once, we can do again. And this is what this man is trying to hold out hope. Uh, but boy, I'll tell you, once a huge empire such as the United States or Russia or others begin to break up and fall, it is very, very difficult to stop. And the sooner that you step in and try and, and stop it, the more chance you have of actually succeeding. And the longer you wait, the less success, uh, the, the less chances that you will have success. Where we, we may be looking at fourth generation war at home or abroad, one consideration must be at the forefront of our minds. Fourth generation war is above all a contest for legitimacy. Every culture, every country has its own definition of legitimacy. Those definitions vary, but as Thomas Hobbes argued, all contain one common element. The state must establish and maintain order. Whatever the local definition, a state must have legitimacy or it will perish. It may last for a while by ruling through terror, as the Soviet Union did, but that merely postpones the final record. In other words, you have to have rules and norms that everyone agrees upon. You have to have unity. You have to have, especially religion, is a unifying factor. And you cannot have a state that depends on all kinds of religions in conflict with each other, or a state that depends on all kinds of different philosophies, gangs, and ideas in conflict with each other. It has to have, as my wife said, some kind of a code that it lives by and everybody agrees to. Since Westphalia, a state that failed, has always been replaced by another state that can deliver the Hobbesian contract. As fourth generation war spreads, failed states may be replaced by something other than a state. Hezbollah provides an example in southern, southern Lebanon. Or what follows may be prolonged disorder of the sort Europe saw in the 14th century before the rise of the modern state. But no state or other entity can survive for long without legitimacy. And legitimacy means norms. It means a code that all of the people follow. And if you don't have that, <coughs> that people believe in, follow, and agree on with each other, then you don't have a state, and without a state, you resort back to the Hobbesian world of all against all. 
For those who would like to read more about the concept of fourth generation war, I recommend two books by Martin Van Creveld. Now, here comes the recommendations of these books for you war buffs and for you military buffs out there. And Uh, historians. And historians. uh, Two books by Martin Van Creveld, The Rise and Decline of the State and the Transformation of War. Again, that's Martin Van Creveld, C-R-E-V-E-L-D, and it's The Rise and Decline of the State and the Transformation of War. And I do believe that Creveld is an Israeli, and he wrote this uh, some time ago, but uh, would be very, very, he would be in a position to understand exactly what's going on uh, because he lives, you know, comes from an area in which fourth-generation war was being practiced before it's even happened here. He goes on again, he says, for practitioners, including police officers, I recommend Fourth fourth Generation Warfare Handbook. Again, that's Fourth Generation Warfare Handbook, which I, that is William S. Lind, co-authored with retired Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel Gregory A. Thiel, T-H-I-E-L-E, T-H-I-E-L-E, Gregory A. Thiel. So that's William S. Lind and Gregory A. Thiel in a book entitled The Fourth Generation Warfare Handbook, as well as my forthcoming book, The New Maneuver Warfare Handbook. Again, that's The New Maneuver Warfare Handbook, and that's by William S. Lind. He goes, on what I call cultural Marxism and its consequences, I suggest Victoria, a novel of fourth-generation war, which I published under the pseudonym Thomas Hobbes. So again, you can look for the pseudonym Thomas Hobbes, and uh, it's really the name that uh, William S. Lind uses, and that's called Victoria, a Novel of Fourth Generation War. So again, the books are The Rise and Decline of the State by Creveld, and then The Transformation of War also by Creveld, and then Fourth Generation Warfare Handbook, and that's by Thomas S. Lind, and then Victoria, a novel of fourth generation war, and that's by Thomas Hobbes, which is a pseudonym for William S. Lind. And William S. Lind is a military historian. Let me let me spell that for you. William S. Lind, L-I-N-D. So you make sure I'm not pronouncing it in, in a way that you don't understand. That's William S. Lind, L-I-N-D, is a military historian, columnist at the American Conservative and author of several books mentioned above, as well as Retro Culture, Taking America Back. So look up William S. Lynn. You can go on Amazon and look up uh, the pseudonym Thomas Hobbes. And then again, uh, look up uh, Martin Van Creveld, C-R-E-V-E-L-D, and The Transformation of War. And uh, that's one of the books that Lynn and I ordered was The Transformation of War. And it's a very, very interesting topic. I think it's very apropos to what's going on now. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the article. Is there any more you want to say, Lynn? Before just we... briefly, uh, many of the wars, the early wars, I guess, would be the first generation or before when the city states fought each other. Saint Francis fought in one of them, and there were quite a few of the saints that were warriors, and they were they fought for their own little groups. And what made them saints were they saw the what happens during war, and it made a big it was a big effect on them. Saint Francis of Assisi, for instance, was a prisoner, and his father bailed him out, 
after a year of suffering, many things. It, I think it's just fascinating to study this, what's going on and how things have changed and evolved to where we're at today. We're allowed to go back to that. God help us. Some of our folks were involved, were fighters in war. Oh, <laughs> yeah. My, parent, my father and, was. And many popes in the early early the days popes, were assassinated yeah. and died. They didn't last long as popes. Uh, it, it didn't take long. There was all this kind of war going on, the fourth generation war going on back at that time. And uh, you didn't know who <laughs> might be going to kill you today or tomorrow. And you didn't have the police or anything like you do now. And in many cases, in the early church, it was a sentence of death to be a pope. He didn't last long. And there was a sense of death also to be a mili- to be a leader in Rome and so forth that these things happened. Uh, it, the stability wasn't like it is now. At any rate, we're going to have to stop here, and mm-hmm. we'll say our prayer. St. Michael, Michael, the, the archangel, archangel, defend us in battle. Be, be our, our protection against, against the wickedness and snares of the devil. devil. May, May God, God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And, and do thou, thou Prince of the Heavenly Host, by, by the power of God, God Thrust into hell Satan, Satan and all, and all evil, evil spirits who wander through the world for the root of souls. Amen. And there it is there. Defend us in battle. And so war is something that's very close always to the church itself and something that we all should understand more. And I hope this article was interesting and helps. You can't forget we're in battle daily against evil. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio.